Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the opportunity to open up your word together now. I just pray that you open up our hearts even as we open up your Bible. And I pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Bring us closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now I've said for years, and I, I maintain, I, I lack imagination. So tonight, or today, we're going to talk about what we've been talking about all week. I'm just going to use the verses that we've been talking about all week. I'm going to use the, the, the Bible points we've been talking about all week. Because it was a good theme in VBS. In Vacation Bible School, we talked about the fact that you are treasured by God. And it's interesting because when you think about life, when you think about how you spend, how you prioritize your day on a daily basis, the majority of us treasure a lot of stuff here. You know, silver, gold, and you go, no, 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 money. Well, yes. Um, you treasure having a good job. You treasure having a good house. You treasure your family. You treasure comfort. You treasure recognition. You treasure authority, power, whatever. None of those things are horrible. But throughout the Bible, Solomon, Peter, James, Jesus, all said, you do realize those things don't last indefinitely. This place doesn't last indefinitely. If you really want to invest in things that matter, invest in things that matter. The stuff of this place isn't necessarily all horrible, but it is all broken. So even Jesus said at one point, make sure that you... you Provide purses for yourselves that are not going to be wearing out. Treasures in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief will be able to come near and no moth will be able to destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You've probably heard that one place or another. Where your treasure is, that's where you're going to invest yourself. Where your treasure is, that's where you're going to focus, right? Now, I love a man, Soren Kierkegaard. He's funny. He's kind of a rock star philosopher that most people haven't heard of, and they should because he's cool. But one of the things Soren Kierkegaard loved to do was to take things that God said and say, well, if you take this as an axiom, turn it around, and it's still true. Look at all the implications. They're still true. If, if where your treasure is, there your heart is also, if that's true of us, isn't that true of God? Where his treasure is, that's where his heart's going to be? Where his heart is, that's where his treasure probably is. Don't you think? It does make sense. And if I, and this is where you, you VBS kids are going to have to help me. If I were to say a Bible point like, God knows you. You are treasure. God hears you. You are treasure. God comforts you. You are treasure. God forgives you. You are treasure. God chooses you. Where's God's treasure? So where's God's heart? If you are who God treasures, there's always someone. No. If you are God's treasure, then don't you think his heart will be with you also? Isn't that where he's going to focus his passion, his emotion? And I don't just mean that he, he doesn't care about other things, but just you're his family, you're his children. If that's true, and I think it's true, and I think the Bible thinks it's true, I'd like to think... You think it's true. If that's true, shouldn't that affect how we live? Shouldn't we live in such a way that we believe that God actually does value us? In Malachi, God said of his people, they will be mine, 
says the Lord Almighty. They will be mine in the day when I make them my treasured possession. You are God's treasure. Now, Paul, Paul centuries later said, we do have to realize that uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Really fancy, really awesome treasure, and we put it in a cardboard box, right? We have the light of God in us, and we wrap it in the worst wrapping paper. And then we either say we are worthless, because look at the wrapping paper. Or we say, yes, we're inherently treasure. Look at how shiny I am. And we forget that we're a treasure when we reflect God's light. We're a treasure when we have God inside of us. We're a treasure when we recognize that we're God's child. Don't ever think you're worthless. And don't ever think that your worth comes inherently from you. Both of those are twin dangers. So today I just want to just want to look at the, the five Bible points that we had and the scriptures that we used this week. I'm just going to put a little flesh to those bones and let's talk about this. Because on Monday at VBS we talked about how God knows you. You are And we learned a memory verse about that from Psalm 139, verse 1. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Which is really cool. That's awesome in and of itself. That's great. But the psalm is more than one verse long. You search me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You don't just see me and my actions. You know what's going on inside of me. You know what's bouncing around in my skull. You know what's in my heart. You know everything about me. David sings, you discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is in on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. Before I ever say that word, help me out. How many words have you ever spoken? Now I'll just make it me. How many words have I ever spoken? Coming from my heart that hurt God's heart before I ever gave them sound. And then I said them. I heard his heart before I even said it, and then I said it. God knows me. It's not just that he looked around and he's like, oh, I'm getting to know people by what they do. It's like, no, he knows your heart already before you even say anything. And this is David writing this. David who lusted after Bathsheba and murdered her husband to get her and cover over his crime. David who was as much con man and mercenary as he ever was king or worship leader. A man after God's own heart, and a murderer, and an adulterer, and a vile human being that everybody who ever loved him came to hate him, except for Jonathan. David knew that God knew him completely, totally, fully, accurately. So is that a comfort to David? Absolutely. My God knows me completely. There's nothing that he doesn't know about me. And he loves me. Was that horrifying to David? Absolutely. Because my God knows me. And he knows every part of me. There's no place I can hide. He says, where can I run from your spirit, God? Where, where can I flee from your presence? Is there any place I can hide from you? Or is there any place where I'd be lost from you? 
If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It's a scary thing to know that God always sees you, every part of you, all the time. hears every echo in your heart. But it's also good to know that wherever you are, whatever pit you fall into, your Father who loves you is going to come find you. You may not be willing to climb out of the pit, but that's on you. But he's looking for you, and he knows where you are. It's true with Adam and Eve. It's true with Cain and Abel. It's true with David. It's true with you. He knows where you are. David says, well, you know, I could try to hide. If I were to say, surely the darkness will hide me, he can't see through that. And the, the light become like night around me. Surely he can't see through that. David says, nah, even then the, the darkness won't be dark for you. The night will shine like day. It's like you got the best night vision goggles ever. For darkness is still as light to you. You can't hide from God. But why would you want to hide from the Father that wants to find you and help you? Why would you run from the person trying to love you well? You ever done that? Ever push away the people actually trying to love you? Ever run from the people actually trying to love you well? Because sometimes they want you to do something healthy when you don't. Sometimes they say, I'd like to try to help you to stop taking heroin. And you say, but I really like taking heroin. Why would you run from the God who loves you? Because he knows you. David says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You didn't just notice me when I grew up. You didn't just notice me when I finally got my act together. You didn't just notice me even when I was born. You knew me as a fully living person. You knew everything about me while I was still being knit together in my mother's womb, in my mommy's belly. You already knew me. I was already a person. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Or as God told the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God sculpted you. From the get-go, he sculpted you in the womb. How could he not know you? Of course he knows you. So when we say God knows you, you are treasure. that's not kid stuff. That's not some tritism to help a child sleep at night when they're scared. That's not the way this works. It's a profound truth for all of us that God knows you. And just make a stop and think, wait a minute. If that's true, why would I ever try to play games with God? Why would I ever try to hide from God? Or why would I ever think that he might forget me? Again, time for honesty. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever kind of thought like Adam and Eve that maybe... If you just didn't make a lot of noise and maybe you hid in a bush, God wouldn't see what you just did. He wouldn't know that. If, if, if after you just sinned, you immediately say some flowery prayer, then somehow God didn't pick up on the dark stuff. You ever try to hide yourself so that God doesn't see your worthlessness? You ever feel worthless? Or have you ever wondered like so many of us have wondered, if you ever wondered if maybe God just isn't going to be there for you this time? 
test is coming up. Maybe God won't be there for you this time. Ever wonder that maybe God might forget you this time? He might be busy. There's so many other people saying so many prayers. Maybe I'm not worth it. But if God hears you, You're never worthless. You are his treasured possession. You are, Of course you're worth it. And he's never going to forget that because you're where his treasure lies, which means that's where his heart lies. He cares for you. To answer that very question, God told Isaiah in six, Isaiah 69, can a mother forget the baby at her breast, have no compassion at the child she's born? You know what? Even if she might forget... I won't. I never will. That's what he says. Which is why on Tuesday we said, God hears you. You are He's always listening for your voice. He's always listening like just like the mom who listens for her baby's voice at night. No, better, better, better than any mom or dad ever listened for your voice as an infant. He's always listening. He's always wanting to be in relationship with you. And our memory verse for that day came from Psalm 116, another psalm of David. I love the Lord, David sang, for he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy. Like an infant crying in the night. And because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Which again suggests that what we believe about God should affect what we do in response, right? If you genuinely believe that God is listening for your voice, that he genuinely hears you, if I can't hide, why would I want to hide? Why shouldn't I seek his face? Why shouldn't I call out to him? This is the face of a dad who's coming to save me from out of the pit. This is the face of a mom who's coming to me at night when I'm scared. This is, this is a God who loves me. I'm going to call on him as long as I live because I genuinely believe he, he hears me and he cares. David says, I was overcome by trouble and sorrow, as we all are at any given moment. And then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. In fact, he literally uses the name. He says, oh, Yahweh, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. And when I was in great need, he saved me. Proverbs says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. Joel says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you genuinely believe that God knows you and God hears you, David says, be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. If we genuinely believe this stuff, it should change how we live, how we look at the world. If he's the perfect father, the perfect mother, shouldn't you be at peace? Shouldn't you be able to find peace? Whatever your situation is, if you know your dad's there. When I was a little kid, my uh, my room was at the end of the hallway, and I remember laying there in my bed being scared. I don't even remember exactly what I was scared of at that point, but I remember laying there in my bed at night being scared, and, and it dawned on me, this epiphany. Any monster that would try to come down that hallway to get me in the middle of the night would have to go past my dad's room. And ain't no monster that brave. (laughs) And 
if my dad struck me as being that cool and that on top of things? And God is so much more consistent and so much more powerful than my dad. Who cares if the room's still dark? Who cares if there's a monster at the front door? Who cares if there's a monster starting to move into the hallway? For him to get to me, he'd have to go past my dad. And ain't no monster going past my dad. Worst thing in the world is waking up my dad in the middle of the night. I found that out. You don't do that. Which leads into what we talked about on Wednesday. On Wednesday, we talked about how God comforts you. You are It's not just soft fur. It's not just sweet words. It's not just platitudes. It's knowing, absolutely knowing, that your dad is the biggest, toughest warrior on the block and that his heart is committed to guarding you as the treasure. And ain't no monster getting past your dad unless you walk away from your dad and face the monster on your own. But why would you do that, right? We just talked, I had a whole thing. Go back and listen to the other part. But our memory verse actually comes from the New Testament when Paul was writing a second letter to the church in Corinth. And Paul begins it by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He is that biggest, toughest guy, and he's committed to protecting you. He's the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles that David sang about happening all the time, that he sang about how he could trust God to protect him in. God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And yet again, we see that what we believe about God should affect what we then do in response, right? You weren't just comforted so that God makes you feel happy. You weren't just comforted so that God makes you go, you weren't just comforted so that you keep Breathing. You weren't protected just so that you keep living. There's more to living than continuing to live. That's just existing. You want to thrive. You want to grow. God wants to change us today, every day, change us, so that our lives touch other lives, so that they can go touch other lives. You're like an infection of healthiness to an inherently sick planet. Go infect them with healthiness. So that they stop coughing, because they seem to think coughing's normal. And if we're not careful, we as Christians begin thinking coughing's normal too. Go infect the world with healthiness. God sent his ambassadors to tell you about his good news, that God desires to love you, that Jesus died to save you, that you are not just the sum total of the stuff you think you are. God sent his ambassadors to tell you all these good news to save you so that you could then be an ambassador and go tell others who then can go tell others. And then they tell two people and they tell two people. Because it's absolutely crucial to remember, crucial to understand what we said on Thursday. Our point on Thursday is that God forgives you. You are treasure. And if God forgives you, then you need to be telling others that God forgives them as well. In fact, it is literally your job. If you genuinely believe that God has forgiven you, if you genuinely want him to change you, it becomes your job 
to go tell other people. I might get paid for it and other things. But it's all of us who are ambassadors. Is God's forgiveness conditional? Do we have to get right enough before we get it? No, absolutely not. It is literally just sitting there. The payment's just sitting there. It's like a, it's like a, a treasure chest filled with gold that is actually literally sitting there open. Just take it. You go, so it's mine? Yes, take it. You go, so I don't have to do anything. No, just take it. So I've got it right now. I might as well go buy some stuff. You go, did you, did you take any of it? No, then you don't have it yet. <gasps> so it is conditional. On you not being dumb? Yes, just take it. That's why it's called grace. God's unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. You can't deserve it. As Paul told the Romans in Romans 5, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, we couldn't accomplish anything, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. When we were still sinners, when we were still actively rebelling against God, Christ died for us. They nailed his hands and his feet to a cross and he let them do it because he wanted to pay for everything that you've ever done wrong or will do wrong or think wrong. Wash you clean and make you something new. You didn't earn this, you can't earn this. And they can't earn his forgiveness. I don't know who they are. Maybe you have a they in mind. Who's the they that you might go, they can't earn his forgiveness either. If we waited till everyone was good enough to be saved and forgiven, no one would be saved and forgiven because no one is ever good enough to be saved and forgiven. And yet, if you believe what we've been saying, then we have to believe that God wants to not only wash us clean, but then say, and to change you every day. I want to grow you more and more in my likeness. I want you to be more and more what I sculpted you to be. I want you to move from the caterpillar you are to the butterfly I always intended you to be. You're still you. You're just Saruman as he should have been. Our memory verse on Thursday was from the book of Nehemiah, where God's people had prayed in Nehemiah 9, our forefathers, Lord, they became arrogant. They were stiff-necked. They didn't obey your commands. Even, even as they're going in the wilderness, being led by Moses, and they saw miracle after miracle, and the Red Sea parted, and amazing stuff, pillars of smoke and fire, and awesome things. God, the perfect Father, showed us that, that you knew us, that you loved us, that you heard us, that you loved us, that you comforted us, that you loved us, that you saved us. And he's, they still prayed that they refused to listen. They failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return them even to their slavery. But, and that's a huge word. I love the word but. That is a massive, massive, tiny little word. Love it in Scripture. Almost every time you see it, everything pivots. Everything was going well, but, oh, man. The world was totally messed up. Look what they were doing. They were rebelling against God. But they were screwed up. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you didn't desert them. 
Because God loved them. Because God loves you and me. Because he knows you. And he knew you were a doofus when he chose to love you. Didn't he? How could his love possibly be conditional if he already knew how doofusy you were to begin with? Well, but I have to de-doofusize. No! He knew you were a, you knew you were goofy when he started. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Even then. Or when they committed awful blasphemies. Even then. Because of your great compassion, you didn't abandon them in the desert. Because they were good? No. Because of your great compassion. Because they earned it? No. Because of your great compassion. Because you knew that they would eventually get their act? No. Because of your great compassion. Nothing my children could ever do would ever make me stop loving them. Nothing. I get torqued at them from time to time. Reserve that right as their dad to go, what? But nothing is ever going to make me abandon them. Nothing is ever going to make me turn on them. Nothing is ever going to make me stop loving them. Do I actually believe that I as a father am any better at this than God? If this is how I love my beloved children and I am never going to abandon them, do I really think that the perfect father might? It doesn't work like that. That's the height of hubris. I never want to do that. Centuries earlier, I love how in Nehemiah they cite this. Centuries earlier, God had told Moses, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining his love to thousands, forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. David sang in another psalm, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He doesn't trust, or I'm sorry, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. In another psalm, he said, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. How many times does the Bible have to say something before it's true? Yeah, already in the sermon we've heard what, like, Five different sections. I didn't even include from Joel. Where he's talking about the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in his love. And if you sit there and go, I know all this. Please, if you ever find yourself, if you ever find yourself hearing the word of God and going, I know all this. I'm going to suggest rule of thumb, you've already screwed up. In general, 99.9 times out of 100. Because are you familiar with a guy named Jonah? Great big fish, right? Not a whale. Great big fish. Swallowed Jonah. But that's really a minor part of the story. It's just the colorful part. If you remember, Jonah was a prophet of God. Not just one of the people of God, but a prophet. His whole job was kind of your whole job, isn't it? To run around and tell people, what God is saying and how he sculpted you and how he wants you to live that out. And God sent him to Nineveh to preach against what they'd been doing because they had been persecuting the people of God for so long. And he sent him to Nineveh and he said, go and tell them to repent, to turn 180 degrees around. They're going this way, make them go this way. And Jonah's response was to go 180 degrees and repent the other direction. Instead of telling them to repent toward God, 
the man of God repented away from God because he knew he knew what they deserved and he didn't want them to hear this but when the Ninevites finally did hear the message and they actually did repent turn around we're told in Jonah 3 that God had compassion didn't bring on them the destruction he threatened they did exactly what they were supposed to do because he's the father of compassion right of course he's going to forgive them but the story continues in Jonah 4:1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry why because Nineveh had been persecuting the people of God for so long he wanted them to fry he knew who deserved forgiveness and who didn't he knew better than God did and he prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. This is why when you said, go to the right, I went to the left. This is why. Because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And if you find yourself going, I know, you keep repeating the same thing. I know all this, Kevin. You're not saying anything new. Clearly, Jonah was familiar with the phrase, too. And it torqued him off instead of bringing him joy. He knew that God was the kind of God who forgave. And where every place else, where you're in Nehemiah or in Exodus or the Psalms, where that phrase gave joy to Jonah, he's like, but I know who should hear the gospel. I know who should be forgiven. I know who I want to see in heaven, and I know who I want to fry. Help me out. Do we as the people of God ever make those decisions ourselves? Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't throw them into the fire. Maybe we just walk on the other side of the street when we see somebody and we hope that some Samaritan might stop by at some point. Let me encourage us that what you believe about God should affect what you do in response to that. If you know that from the Psalms that God says that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, that it's grace, that the Lord is good to all, he has compassion on all he has made, that the, that, that treasure chest is open for everyone. If we know that, it should affect how we Facebook you know what? I've decided not to call it Facebook anymore because when I say Facebook, people say, you know, it's really Instagram that's the problem. And when I say, okay, Instagram, they go, you know, Twitter, it's the people who tweet. That's the problem. I say, okay, Twitter. And then people go, you know, people in our church that we've seen say the dumbest stuff, that's on Facebook. I'm like, okay, InstaFace Twit. <laughs> Shouldn't that affect how you InstaFace Twit? Shouldn't it? Shouldn't it change how you would react to the people on the other side of the political fence? Shouldn't it? What about the person that's just driving you nuts so that I'm so frustrated with Kent that I talked to Sherry about him? Shouldn't that change how we do that? If we genuinely believe this stuff? I learned from Star Trek that these words have to apply to everyone or else they mean nothing. They have to. They have to apply to all of us. Peter said... To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He himself bore our sins on his body, on the tree, on the cross. They nailed him up there so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, so that we might be changed, so that we might let that blood wash us clean. That payment for wrongdoing, that 
that payment that bought us adoption into his family. If we believe that, we need to act on that. Let him forgive you. Let him love you. Let him find you in the pit. Let him change you. He knows you. Let him sculpt you. Because as we said on Friday, God chooses you. A memory verse came from Isaiah again. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you. No, the same God from Jeremiah that said, before I even formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you when I drew up the plans for you. That God says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have bought you back. I have paid your price. I have paid for your actions. I have paid for your soul. You are mine. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. This is not just a general summons. This is not just, okay, anybody who wants to come to the treasure chest? It's, Gabby, I know you. It's Nina, I know you. Scott, I want you to be in my family. I know you, and I call you by name. You are mine. Not this world. Don't act like that. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. You are my child. You're part of my family. Come home. For I am the Lord. For I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious and honored in my sight. You are treasured. And I came out to get you. And if you ever worry or ever wonder how much you are treasured. He says later on in Isaiah, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. How can I ever forget you? Let me encourage you. If you're a Christian, don't ever see this as kid stuff. If you're a Christian, don't ever forget the simple things. If you're a Christian, don't ever forget that when you hear that He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's for everybody, and it's true across the board. God forgives without qualification. If you're not a Christian, if anything that I've said today tugs at you, if you say, maybe I should think about this. Maybe I I do need to make a decision to actually come to that treasure chest. Maybe I I do need to say, Lord, if, if it really is free, Please do wash me clean. Then do that today. Don't leave the building until you do that today. Make a deal. I'll even stay up here afterwards and pray with anybody that wants to pray with me about that. Don't leave the building without making a decision because what you believe about God should affect how you react to it, how you respond. Amen? Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that... It's not with perishable things like silver and gold that we were saved, but with your precious blood. Lord, thank you. You are our treasure. Help our hearts to be with you. Thank you that you treasure us so much to be willing to die to bring us home. In Jesus' name, amen.